I, uh, I found the worship to be particularly interesting this morning because I feel like it was another version of my message. And, and what that really means is, uh, and you're, you're going to understand it more as we get into the message, what that means is God is speaking to you. Uh, and it's important that you can wrestle with a statement like that. It's important that you and I can wrestle with a statement like, God is speaking to me. Go ahead, Kim. <clears throat> so I want you uh, to listen and compare. I'll even use some of the lyrics from the songs today. We are closing up uh, this session, completing the session on Surprise the World. The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. And we've been following Michael Frost's book, uh, the understanding, the idea that we can do things. The idea of changing our habits is really about changing what we're doing. If we want to go somewhere different, be something different, if we see something uh, different that we want in our life, then we make adjustments in our life to accomplish that. If you want to learn an instrument, if you want to learn a language, if you want to stop doing something, if you want to start doing something, all of those require that you overtly, you take an effort and an initiative <clears throat> and you sustain it till you achieve what you're trying to do. I had one of my youth at the Houston Vineyard uh, you know, petite little, she was a twin, petite little girl. And, and uh, I remember when she became a black belt. And most people who start karate never become a black belt. And I asked her, so how did you do that? She said, I just kept going. I just kept doing it. And if I keep doing this habit, then I achieved black belt. So this is about our habit life. So if you come through this surprise the world and it hasn't clicked to you, that this is about changing your habits. That blessing people, that being a part of people's lives that way, that listening to the voice of the Lord, practicing listening to the voice of the Lord, eating with other people with intentionality, Learning about Jesus, making an effort to learn about Jesus, making that a part of your life. And then today we're finishing up what Estella started last week on being sent. <clears throat> you see, uh, what the uh, lady named Ann Broyles, she said, what our mind is thinking and our heart is feeling becomes tangible ink on paper. And this is why we want to start writing things. So we have blessing others, eating, listening, learning, and sent. And sent, out of the book, it says, I will journal, I will write down. Through the week, all the ways I alerted others to the universal reign of God through Christ. What this means is, times when I spoke out in a way that glorified God, Times when I took actions that, that revealed a loving, a kind, a gracious, merciful God. Not when I corrected someone. Not when I pointed out right versus wrong necessarily to get on to someone. Not when I brought up religion to someone. But when I overtly acted in a way that people encountered a true 
living, loving God. Now, if you feel like I won't have to write very much or I can't think of what I would write, then this is the message for you. This is the message for you. Today, it's not too late to get this whole message done, this whole series done. <clears throat> Last week, Estella shared this idea of seeing yourself as a missionary, one who is sent, sent into the world, whether you're in school, whether you have a job, whether you stay at home, wherever you are, wherever you encounter life and the environment, you are one sent there carrying the message, the purpose, and the plan of God. So being a missional people of God, I want you to know, is intentional. We don't accidentally do it. We actually decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. It has a value and it has a cost. But it's rooted in something far greater than even our life. It's rooted in what God is doing and where he's going. So I want to repeat some verses <clears throat> that Estella used last week because they sound like a real downer. And uh, I was talking to somebody during the week about how they sounded like a downer, these verses. But I, I think when Jesus draws this large crowd and they're there and they, they really are there for the food mostly, but they're seeing these miracles, they're seeing these things going on. And if somebody were to walk up and say, hey, are you following Jesus? Of course I am. It's great. He's the newest guy in town. He's, he's on spot. He's relevant. He's culturally current. He's doing good things for people. He loves the poor. He feeds the hungry. I mean, yeah, I'm in. I'm following. All right, that's who he's speaking to. He's about to burst the bubble on what following him is. He's about to create a tension in people that would make a statement like that. He's about to create a great trouble in the heart of churchgoers who attend regularly, who pay their money in, who show up, and who volunteer. He's going to strike at the heart of everything we understand about being a follower in the context of being ourself and in charge of ourself. Out of Luke 14, we start with verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. They're following. But he knows there's a difference between following and following. He turned around and he said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison, and this is out of the New Living Translation. If you're looking at something like NIV, it won't put by comparison in there. It said, You must hate everyone else. Your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. Where? There's some strong language there. I mean, he's using the H word. Mom and dad taught me never hate. Don't be a hater. No hating. You can dislike, you can disagree, but we don't use the, the H word. Jesus threw it out there, didn't he? Well, bam, he threw it out there, and he makes this comparison. Everything you love, everything you call blood, everything you call your people, your lineage, what you're a part of that is can't be separated by anything, I want you to know that in comparison to me will have to be a hate. That's strong language. It's very strong language. You could call it a downer, maybe. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life by comparison. See, you ought to be able to see a hint here. 
that this idea of allegiance, when Jesus is speaking, he is not pulling back from what it means. He is not creating a comfortable, live a good life place for you and I. He is saying, to follow me, you will have to buy in. You're going to have to buy it. All of it. And it's going to cost you everything to follow me. He's making that distinction so that we're not deceived, so that we're not at a place, we go to church, we do this, we do that, you know, I quit cussing, I quit this, I quit that, and I'm doing this and that, and all of a sudden I see myself as a pretty good Christian. And Jesus would say, that's not even the right list. You're not even on the right sheet. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. You won't be able to do it. It's not about penalizing you. It's about telling you what's possible. You can't follow him if other priorities are greater than him. It can't do it. You can't follow him if other priorities are greater because they will get in the way of following him. That's what he's saying. You will reach a road, a conflict, where something else is of greater value than that conflict will pull you away from Jesus. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciples. You will have the burden of walking with Jesus. It means you will have to make those decisions. You will have to think. You will have to be the one that makes that decision every time. It'll be you that has to operate within your soul and your life. It will fall on you to decide who you follow, how you follow, when you follow, what it looks like. That will fall to you. You and only you. It won't fall on your pastor, your home group leader, your spouse, your sponsor. It won't fall on any of those people. It falls on you. And if you don't accept that role, you cannot be his disciple. It goes on. He gives an example of what this means. He's saying, he gives this example for... Uh, who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Or otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. He's saying, to follow me, understand, think, consider. Inside, know the decision you're making. Know that it's not... Yeah, I think I'll hang out with those people. Uh, like the, I like the music this morning. Uh, it sounded good. And, and uh, you know, yeah, I can hang out with these people. And Jesus is saying, really count the cost. Because, because if you don't consider and count up front, when the cost gets high, you'll stop. And it'll be an unfinished life, an unfinished story. He gives another example. Uh, a king uh, go to war with another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 can actually defeat 
the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. You make those decisions. You do. I make mine. You make yours. It's not a group decision. It's not a church decision. It's not a corporate decision. It's not a family decision. It's your decision. And it's only yours. Only you decide. Verse 32. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss the terms of peace. Verse 33. He concludes it all. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. He's just telling you the cost. You see, he's telling you, you need to consider the cost. Oh, here's the cost. All right, so if you feel like, wow, that person Bill talked to was right. This is a downer. All right, now we're going to raise it up a little bit. Um, if we look in Philippians 2, verse 5, we will see something here where we see Jesus had to make the same decision as a human being. You see, he modeled and he led us forward. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the, in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. You see, the very act of coming as a human being, he put himself in the place where he decided on the cost. He gave up his rights and he accepted the cost that it would cost him everything. If you look through the New Testament, you will see over and over again this word, Consider. The, the scripture challenges you. Consider. Think. Evaluate. And I'm going to use a word here. It's a 50 cent word, but I like the word. Introspection. There you go. This is actually a Wikipedia definition. It's the examination of one's own conscious thoughts and feelings. The process of introspection relies exclusively exclusively on observation of one's mental state while in, uh, in a spiritual context it may refer to the examination of one's soul. Introspection is closely related to human self-reflection and is contrasted with external observation. Here's the deal. To know if you're willing to pay the cost, to know you've signed up for the cost is a deep, deep thing. I, I think for much of the church, one of, one of our greatest drawbacks, we don't do a lot of deep thinking. I know people who avoid it at all costs. I mean, to really consider. That's why our priorities and our spirituality and our habits and our lifestyle and our friends can all be kind of messed up where they're actually all conflict. I was talking to a young lady who um, was seriously pursuing 
a relationship within Catholicism, a religious relationship. And I'm talking about with Jesus. She was trying to, she was in classes and this kind of thing. And as we talked, I was, I was interested. I found it equal interesting to find out that the more we talked and I found out where this person worked, she worked at a video store. Not just any video store. It was a video store that you had to be like, you know, 18 to go into. I found that interesting. I found a disconnect there. And as she mentioned this, she admitted, wow, that doesn't sound right, does it? It's your journey. You decide, not me. I, I can see because I'm a considering person. I have a person of introspection. I can see a disconnect in your life. But it doesn't matter what I see in your life. It matters what you see in your life. And Scripture calls you to consider what you see, what you know, what you're experiencing, and what you believe. It calls you to that. And without that, the Spirit has little opportunity to transform you. You see, it's in that introspection. It's in that place where you're considering truth. You're considering cost. You're considering your lifestyle, your behavior, your words, your relationships. It's in that place that the Holy Spirit has a stage upon which to speak into your life on the behalf of the Father himself. You see, if you cut out introspection, you cut out the primary stage of the Holy Spirit and see, if we live on numb and we, and we fill our head with distraction, when I have to have my phone in front of me, I have to be connected with other people, I have to be this, I have to multitask. Do you know what multitasking does that is the worst thing for everybody? It takes away any ability to have introspection. It disconnects us from our ability for our mind and our brains and our spirit to really Consider what's happening and what's going on. These songs today, with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, Jesus, I love you. Do you hear how that's coming? That's an introspection song. That's a connecting with something deep inside. And you know, even I feel like the Lord through Betty and, and through uh, Brad, whoever that guy is back there. Um, I felt like the Lord was highlighting it, saying, this is what I'm talking about. When you can sing this song, and it doesn't challenge you when you can sing this song and it doesn't like click something in you that says, is this me? Am I really like this? Do I really believe? That's introspection. That's what it looks like. If you're singing this song with all of my heart, with all of my heart, Jesus, I love you. I could do this in harmony. Jesus. You know, I, but I'm not, there's no introspection. It's harmony. It's words. It's music. It's nothing. It means nothing. It means nothing to you, nothing to me, nothing to God. These songs are created to produce introspection. That's what these people who write these. Um, Lord of glory, Lord of, Lord of might. 
We lay our crowns down. No flesh will glory in your sight. We lay our crowns down. Every government, every land, we lay our crowns down. We will seek no earthly title. Do you hear the conviction in that? Do you hear what it's saying when it's saying, we lay our crowns down? I'm saying, I'm laying down my authority. When it says, I lay my life down, isn't that the very thing Jesus was asking for? It just didn't sound as dark and, and struggling here, did it? We were just kind of marching to it. We lay our crowns down. But you see, if we're just marching to the tune, we're doing some harmony and singing, it means nothing. And Jesus is talking to the crowd saying, my disciples, they know the weight of those words. And they know the joy of those words. They believe those words carry life not penalty. They see the value in those words more than they see the cost of the words. And it's in that that you can follow Jesus. Have your way. Have your way in this heart, in this place. Have your way. They're just words but with the introspection and with the Holy Spirit speaking into those, the Holy Spirit can say, Bill, is that true today? Is the Father having his way? And I can say, not today, not really. And it's in that moment the Holy Spirit can say, and we want to minister to that this morning, Bill. We want to speak into that place. Introspection brings that. It brings repentance. It brings life. It brings hope. It shows you when you're off course. It shows you when your anger is misplaced. When you're pushing it at this person, it's really about this. You see, introspection with the Spirit connects us for good. Introspection of the Spirit, Mark 4, 23 through 25. If anyone he has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider, there that word is. Consider, ponder, think, wonder. Be introspective. Carefully consider what you hear. He continued. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever ha uh, does not have, even what he has will be taken away. You see, if you're an pr introspective person, you would read that and go, I need to read that more than once. So the person who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. You see, if you're not pondering that right now, if you're not considering, what does that mean? then you're disconnected. You're somewhere else. Because that's, that's a pretty bold statement. And he's saying, carefully listen to this. Carefully listen to worship songs. Luke 8, verse 17 and 18. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, what? Consider carefully. Don't just think about it. Don't just, but consider it carefully. You see, you have that capacity. I have the capacity to wisely consider carefully. 
Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Wow, we didn't know it'd be so hard to listen, did we? Like, hello, hello, I'm Bill, I'm Joe. Hi, Joe. I'm listening. No, 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 no. Listen carefully. Who has will be given more. Who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away. Luke 12, verses 23 to 25. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. Now see, this is about considering externally. Pondering creation. You have that capacity. Let the Spirit work in you to connect dots. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? You see, you could spend weeks considering the raven. Now, what is the lesson that somebody has gotten from the raven? It's about protection, taking care of yourself. It's about provision. It's about how well you will survive. It's about trusting God. You, if, you, if you're just pondering, wow, you know, he didn't have a bank account. That raven didn't have a 401k. That raven is this. That raven is that. God says he takes care of him. What does that mean for me? See how the introspection. God can take introspection and through the Spirit bring depth, bring hope, bring keen understanding to each of us. You see, this challenges the way I'm going to believe, the way I'm going to worry, the way I'm going to live, way I'm going to trust. And he got all that from considering the raven. Luke 12, 27 through 28, just a little further down. It's really part of the same story. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which are here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? This is Jesus over and over again using examples from around them. I want you to think. Let the Spirit help you think. I want you to think in ways that your faith is reinforced. It's solidified. You see, we can't be missional in the world if we can't be introspective with the Spirit. I was talking to somebody uh, last week, and they made the comment. We were talking about, you know, kind of the steps of maturity where you, you know, you know that the opportunities are everywhere because God is a missional God. And then, you know, we talked about taking the risk and acting on those opportunities. And this person said, I just need to get to the place where I actually see the opportunities so that I can miss them and repent from missing the opportunities. See, I, I think there's great wisdom in that. Saying, no, I have one other step in there. I, I don't actually even see them a lot of times. Isn't that our story? 
Isn't that our story? Wisdom in that statement. Lord, you see, it's introspection with the, with the Spirit in our environment, connecting our soul, our beliefs, our understandings, our questions with where we live life. And then we see that person. We see that person. We see that opportunity. You see, we see things. Now, if you blow that opportunity, then you have more introspection to do, don't you? Then they say, wow, why did I not take advantage of that? Why did I not do that? And when you do take advantage of it, then you say, why did I do that? And how did it turn out? And the introspection takes off again, and the Spirit moves in it. Last week, Carlos and I were uh, having lunch together in Angleton, and then we stopped by a cleaners over there to pick up a shirt. Now, it's cool. I get this call, and this lady says, your shirt is ready. And it's been there a couple of days. It's unusual for somebody to call you like two days after it's ready. And, and this person says, oh, and you have some pants here that have been here maybe a couple of years. <laughs> that sounds normal for me. Um, I said, well, that's, that's possible. Uh, she said, the number was lost off of that tag, so we couldn't call you. But when she saw the shirt, she saw the name, and she remembered those pants with that name. And so she called me, really because of the pants. Now, that's just, that's just on the surface, isn't it? Let's let it play. Okay, on our way back from lunch, go in to pick up my shirt and my pants. This woman does not look good. She didn't look good at all. But you see, that is why I'm here. Do you see that? That's the opportunity right there. She doesn't look good, and I'm here. She called, I'm here. And that means the people of God are on mission in this moment, and we've actually seen it. We've actually identified it. You actually have to care someone doesn't look good and then care to actually ask them about it. You don't really look like you're doing well. Well, I'm not. I just had surgery, and I think something's wrong, and I need to probably go to the emergency room when I get off work. You know, so I asked, you know, can somebody cover for you? And no, the other person won't come in, so I have to wait till 6. I said, can I pray for you that God would heal you? Yes, please. So I waved Carlos in. Carlos came in, and we prayed. She just began to weep as we prayed for her. It was a God moment. It was what God was doing. It was missional. It was in the normal flow, picking up my clothes from the cleaners, and they were my pants from two years ago. They're ones I got married in. But I've had them since then, I think. But the point, I mean, maybe the tag was lost a couple of years ago for this moment to take place. See, that's what introspection does. All of a sudden, you're thinking like that. Is that true? I don't care. It doesn't matter. It matters that we are thinking in a way that is supernatural. It matters that we begin thinking in a way that becomes personal, intentional about a God that is at work and at play in humanity. And we are playing a part.
we look at how others viewed what it takes to follow Jesus. Romans 11, verse 18. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. If your introspection brings you to the place where you're superior, it says, then you need to think about something else. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. He's saying, all right, be the person with introspection. And when you do, check your answer. Romans eleven twenty one. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who, who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, also you will be cut off. And it goes on, so you'll be grafted back in again. In Acts 30, talking about their own assessment of their value. Verse 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He is missional. He is connected with it. He is at peace with it. And he knows that it will cost him everything, that it has cost him everything. You see, he's only saying the same thing that Jesus said it would take. That's all he's saying. It sounds much better here. Jesus is only telling you up front, this is, this is what it takes to follow me. Now I know that none of you among, uh, have gone out preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Hear the cost in that? We're not going to see each other again. Not here. It's okay. That's part of the cost. In Philippians 3.8, what is more, I consider, there it is, my introspection with the Spirit says everything is a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Seeing the value and seeing the value compared to what we have. That's Jesus. That's what he's saying. And as Paul is speaking, and he talks about this incredible life in, in chapter 3 of Philippians, starting in verse 12, he says, Now I haven't really obtained this perfection that I'm speaking of. I have not already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself. There's that, there's that introspection. I am, I am thinking about it. I'm looking at it. I stare at it every day. I wonder about it. I pull and push with it. It is my life to operate in this context. What I can say is, I know I haven't taken a hold of it. But one thing I do 
forgetting what is behind me, straining forward for what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's all the same thing. It's about the trade, the value, and the cost. These are people who took that step. And they do not sound like they're at a funeral of their own. And then there's the other consideration. Hebrews 10, starting verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who, promises, who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You see, I consider. I'm pondering. How can I? Be a part of your story being strong. How can you do that for me? You see, as believers, we don't check out. Our brain doesn't turn off. It's not like this blind faith thing. It is a very powerful faith that's rooted in a very uh, deep pondering, considering, and thinking that goes on in our soul. Karina's going to read an important passage for us from James. This is James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Forgetting the one in the mirror. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are, what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye, and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in the action. Thank you. It's a very powerful statement that we can look in the mirror and forget who we are when we turn away. You see, the second part of that actually describes catching a glimpse of God in that mirror when we, see, when we look at ourselves. You see, that's the goal. As we look in the mirror, what we see it's a reflection of God in us. There's a song, one of my favorite songs from, I think, the 80s um, by a woman named Margaret Becker, probably most of which people are too young to know who Margaret Becker is. But she is an in killer voice. You know, kind of a Aretha Franklin kind of voice. But she has a song. Um, when I heard her in concert, it it just stuck out to me. The words are, look me in the eyes. She's, this is a song to, to, to Jesus. Look me in the eyes. Tell me if you see. Traces 
of yourself flowing here in me. Tell me if you find your life in mine. I pray you'll see the light when you look me in the eyes. When Jesus looks into your eyes, what do you want him to see? What do you want him to see? What do you want Jesus to see? When we look in the mirror, do we see traces of our Father? You, you don't get that by reading a Bible or memorizing a verse. You get that from allowing the Holy Spirit and your soul to commune and to discuss and to think and to ponder and consider to decide together who you are and what you will be. And then and only then the reflection in the mirror you and Jesus will grow strangely similar in your identity. That's the church. That's the one the world is waiting for. Introspection with the Spirit is where we can process events, all events, world events, global events, local events, events in my heart. Introspection with the Spirit is where I can make sense of God's work in my life, around my life, around the globe. When I see the news about Syria, I want to hear God's input. I want to see the things that are happening over there through the lens of a saving, loving Father. I need that. My perspective, my introspective needs that. I process the news through my Father. Not through Republican or Democrat or liberal or communist or independent or white or black or American. I process it through Jesus. Keeping a record of insights. I want to record insights that I get from Jesus. When, when, when something all of a sudden makes sense to me, I want to hold on to that nugget. Has that ever happened to you before? You felt like something clicked, something worked. It made sense. And you go, oh, that was, that was good. That was awesome. And sometimes we say, I need to write that down. And then you don't. And then you don't remember it later and you wish you'd written it down. Has that ever happened? I mean, it happened to me this morning. It's a place you ask important questions. Those ones that you feel like don't have any answers, they have answers. How much will Jesus reveal to you? I don't know. I don't care. The point is, are you engaging the real questions, the important questions with him? You see, that's the introspection. That's the part that changes the mirror. Identifying ourselves differently. For Paul, for Peter, for Luke, for these guys that were writing these stories, 
about themselves, their commitment. You see how their identity was changed? They were different people. They became different, not just in their behavior, not just in their beliefs, but in here. They looked different in the mirror. When they looked in the mirror, they saw something different than they did years earlier. What do you see in your mirror? Out of the book, it says, keeping a journal and a record, and, and keep a journal and record all the ways you are mirroring God's work in the world. Consider and, and keep a record all the ways. That's the actions, the deeds. I even throw in thoughts. If you have a God thought, write it down. Because as we write these things, it pushes us to ponder, to consider. As we're writing, it almost forces an introspection. You see, one feeds the other. It can start to really help the way uh, we think about ourselves. We eventually can self-identify as a missionary, someone God sent. That's a title no one gives you. That's an identity that you find yourself in when the introspection and the power of the Holy Spirit begins to change how you see and do everything. You'll be looking at how you live your life and conduct it differently. This next one should say here is the key to the fifth habit. Or this, rather. This is the key to the fifth. It's about reshaping our identities around our fundamental calling as the sent ones of God. If you would stand, please. <clears throat> 